Good morning. If you would, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. If you don't, uh, if you don't have your own Bible, we'd love for you to grab that. Uh, there should be a black hardcover Bible in front of the... In front of your seat somewhere, you can grab that one. We should be on page 61. You're welcome to take that one home. It can be yours. be glad to give you that. As a church, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and we are now in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so even if you haven't grown up in church, or maybe this may even be your first time in a church building, uh, maybe even culturally, you're probably aware of what the Ten Commandments are. Or at least maybe you've heard that phrase, the Ten Commandments. You might think of it positively. You might think of it negatively. But that's where we are. It's in the book of Exodus. And just kind of remind you what, what's going on. Um, the way that the, the Ten Commandments work is something the way that our Constitution works. Okay? And so when you think about the, the foundation of our society is the United States, it's built on this document called the Constitution. And then all of our laws specifically flow out of that Constitution. Well, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They are the, the summary foundation of God's law for His people. And so... The way that we're kind of working through these, I'm not actually going to do a sermon on each commandment um, with exception of two. I did one on do not murder for sanctity of human life Sunday. And today I'm going to spend some time talking about the Sabbath command because arguably it could be the most important command in the ten words. And I think it's the one we probably struggle with the most because uh, we don't know how to apply it. We don't know what to do with it. Now, since we're not Jewish and Jesus has fulfilled the law and all those kind of things, we don't really know what, how does the Sabbath play out in my life. So I wanted to spend some time really diving into this idea of Sabbath and what it means for us. And so uh, let's give attention to God's word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the Lord speaking to his people. And I'm actually going to read verse 2 to begin with, just so you have the frame. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word, as we hear it read, and now as we listen to it preached, God, we just pray that you would bless it. We pray that, uh, that you would open our ears to understand it, that you would open our hearts to believe it, and that we would be transformed and renewed as we digest it, God, that your word, by the power of your spirit, would bear much fruit in our lives. Bring us to faith. Grow us in faith. We pray, us, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you have uh, if you have seen the movie Monsters Inc., then you uh, you have seen one of my uh, one of my favorite characters. One of the reasons she's one of my favorite characters is you know this lady if you've like worked in a big office building or if you visited the DMV, right? You may be this person. Um, I may be this person, but I'm talking about Roz. Roz is this very unattractive, uh, very unkind lady who works the desk at the Monsters Incorporated factory. She is, she is the bureaucrat. She is the, she is the paper pusher, right? Her constant refrain is, where's your paperwork, Wazowski? Right? right? They, everybody wants to tiptoe by her desk so that they, because nobody remembers to turn their paperwork in, right? Especially not in triplicate, right? Somebody always forgets the puce form, right? And so everybody wants to get around Roz because she's always, she's just always so negative, right? She's, always, she's just a killjoy. And I'm going to contend that that's the way that most of us uh, interact with God's law, right? With the Ten Commandments, uh, with law in general, we, when, when we hear the Ten Commandments, we hear, we hear Roz's voice, right? When we hear the Sabbath command, we hear, where's your paperwork, Rosowski? Right? Um, that's, our, that's our interaction with God's law. That's our perception of what it is, which is, which is really bizarre, especially when it comes to the Sabbath command. Right? We don't do with the Sabbath command what, what we do with any of the others. Uh, like, for instance, nobody, like when we hear, do not murder, everybody's kind of like, yeah, that's good, right? Human life, good. We like to protect that. Let's keep it safe. Yeah, good idea, God. Okay. Uh, do not steal. Another good idea, right? I like that personal property. I, want pe- I don't want people to take my stuff. Thank you, God. What a great command. But then God starts messing with our schedule, right? Then he Hey, I want you to take one day off. I want you to take one day. I'm going to give you seven days. You're going to take one of those out. Get all your work done on six, and then I command you to stop and to look at me. And all of a sudden, we're like, who does he think he is? That ogre in the sky? This is my time, right? So... Why do we have this relationship with the Sabbath like that? Like, some, this command that is meant to give us life, this command that is meant to give us rest, we probably treat it like it's, like it's the most burdensome law of all. Right? And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. You're going to see um, the Sabbath command gets repeated and applied as the law code builds, right? So Exodus, it starts here, it goes into Leviticus, right? These are all the parts, by the way, that usually kill your Bible reading plan. You get on the other side of Exodus 20 and it's like, you know, like somebody just sucked all the air out of the room because we're reading things like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. What am I supposed to do with that, right? So, um, but as the law builds through Leviticus uh, and into Numbers, and it gets repeated in Deuteronomy. Uh, the Sabbath command is repeated and reiterated uh, with different focuses and different applications. So it's really important to Israelite life. It's really important to the way the people of God live with their God. And so we're going to unpack that. But here's, 
Here's what it is in the main, all right? If you, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. The Sabbath is a reminder that God is at the center of the life of his people. The Sabbath is meant to be a reminder that God is at the center of the life of his people, which means he determines the weekly rhythm of, of work and rest. Work does not determine that rhythm. The seasons don't determine that rhythm. God determines the rhythm. He is at the center, right? And, and the reason we need to hear that is because we're prone to move away. Neil mentioned it, right? We are prone to self-reliance. We are prone to, I'm going to do my own thing, God, thanks, but no thanks. And the Sabbath is a reminder that, now nah, we don't get to do that, right? Come back over here. I'm at the center. I set the rhythm. This is how this works, right? I'm, so I want to put me and my priorities at the center of what needs to happen. But God says, remember the Sabbath. Stop and look. Stop and worship. So God gives us the Sabbath so that we stop our busyness and delight in him. That's, that's the idea that I want to try to get across today, that God gives us the Sabbath. And we'll talk about what that means for us in the New Testament. But God gives us the Sabbath so that we stop our busyness. This frantic pace that makes up my life and your life, right? So that we stop our busyness and delight in Him. That's what it's for. So it's not meant to be a crushing burden. It's meant to be a delight. But God forbid if we take a word like rest... And somehow make it into this ogre, burdensome command that's going to crush us, right? Um, so, uh, three ways we're going to look at this. First, we're going to talk about the Sabbath as law. Uh, second, we're going to talk briefly about the Sabbath as sign. And I'll explain what I mean when we get there. And then we're going to talk about the Sabbath and Jesus. And this is where we're going to try to unpack it and figure out what the Sabbath now means now for us, this side of um, crucifixion and resurrection. So, that's kind of the chart. Let's go to Exodus 20, verse 8. God says, remember. Remember the Sabbath day, all right? So, when it says remember, that word remember means remember and take action. Remember and do something about it, right? Not. Um, so, one pastor used the example I thought was a great one. If I... If I just say, you know, if I just remember my wife's anniversary, my wife's anniversary, like it's not my anniversary too. If I just remember our anniversary, because it's about me too, and, but, I don't, but I don't do anything about it, like, oh yeah, hey, today's our anniversary, cool. But I don't do anything, well, I didn't really remember it, now did I, fellas? Right, no, remembering implies action, remembering implies doing. So, how do we, how does God intend for us to remember the Sabbath? Uh, to keep it holy. Now, that word holy uh, has some unfair freight and baggage in our day and time. We hear holy and we think, oh, we remember that guy that we didn't like in elementary school who always did everything right. Okay? That's not... That's not what the Bible means by holy. Uh, the Bible, when the Bible says holy, the word holy really means to set apart, right? And so that's why things like couches and tables and furniture in the tabernacle can be called holy. They're not 
There's no moral quality to a candlestick, right? But it's been set apart for a specific use. That's what the word holy means. So God says, I want you to take one day in seven, and I want you to pull it away from the other six and set it over here. That's what it means to make it holy. This will be a holy day, which is where we get our word holiday from, right? Our holidays are different days, right? We do different things on them, Um, so, God's saying, you get one, one in seven, I want you to set that day apart. And here's how I want you to do that. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. All your work, you've got six days to do it. Right? And everybody in the room collectively is like, there's no way. I can't, I can't do all my work in six days. That's okay. God says, you have six days. Six days... Do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. That word Sabbath means to cease or to stop. So work your brains out for six days if you like. But on the seventh, stop. Cease. Cease from doing the work that you would normally do on the other six days. That's, what, that's the kind of work that this is referring to, Right? Uh, some people have gone overboard. We're going to talk about this more when we get into the New Testament deal. But right, here's what, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean you stop eating. This doesn't mean you stop moving, right? There's still things happening. Like you still have to sustain life on the Sabbath day. So that, yes, you still got to put food on the table. You can turn the oven on. It's okay, right? If you feel real convicted about that, put the crock pot on the night before, okay? But... You still have to eat. That's legit, right? The horses, you can still feed the horses. You still better milk the cows, right? Like, so all of that is okay. It's not, that's, that's life-sustaining work that, that needs to happen. But when God says, do all your work, he means the regular work that occupies you the other six days of the week. And so for this agrarian society, that would have meant, don't go out in the field today, right? You can leave the field for a day. It's okay. You can't... Um, so for us, if you work a desk job, you check email. Don't sit down at your desk and don't check your email. Let it go. It'll be okay to let that go for a day, right? You don't have to do it. What, is that, what does that imply? What is that, why is that such a challenge for us? Because our identity is so wrapped up in the work that we do. We create, we produce, we earn, and somewhere, and and all of those are good things. We are designed to do that. But somewhere along the way, we've made our creating and our producing and our earning the sum total of our identity. Our work is who we are. And so when someone comes along and tells us to stop, that we don't have to do it, well, now you're challenging my identity, right? You're challenging my busyness when, all, when I don't know how to be anything but busy, right? You're actually, you're actually attacking an idol. And so I think that's why we hear the Sabbath uh, as, as such a challenge to us because it challenge, it's telling us that your worth is not contained in the work that you do. Your work is good, God appreciates you, and it gives you six days to do it. 
But the seventh day is not for that. The seventh day is his. Right? He says, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Right? Uh, Leviticus, uh, so the Sabbath is for rest. Uh, Leviticus 23.3 also tells us it's a day of solemn assembly, which means that it was a day when God's people would gather together and worship. They would offer sacrifices. They would hear a reading from the law. Right? Does it sound familiar? That's kind of what we're doing now. Except we don't offer sacrifices anymore. We'll get to that. But, um, so it was a day also of worship. It was a day when God's people gathered together. So they didn't go to the field. They went to the temple. Right? Uh, it was a time to gather together and hear from God and meet with God. One other thing. Do you notice it says, On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So, not only, this, this command applies to the whole social order, right? That was, he just listed everybody in the workday right there. So, it's not just the owner of the company who takes the day, uh, but everybody else, right? So, um, you couldn't say, well... Gosh, I can't go out into the field, but I really need to get that taken care of. Maybe I can get Junior to do it. The guys, one of my hired men, maybe he can do it. Nope, you've got to give him the day. Okay, well, what about that immigrant worker who doesn't worship the same God I do? I mean, he lives in the city. I'll go pay him to do it. Nope, he gets a Sabbath. Doesn't matter if he worships the Lord or not. No one is to work on the Sabbath day. The entire social order has a day. All right? Um, it's interesting. Just compare two American, uh, American restaurant moguls. Uh, a film recently came out about Ray Kroc, the, uh, the founder of McDonald's, which kind of details just what an unscrupulous fellow Kroc was. Um, but... His golden arches are the, at least for a long time, kind of were the, the logo of American fast food all over the world, right? McDonald's, like everybody knows what McDonald's is. It's, I think it's probably in, on every continent, excluding Antarctica, right? Um, you know, like everybody knows McDonald's. And, and Croc was a pretty unscrupulous guy, right? We're, it, 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 and it's in some ways the model of American, of some American business, right? Like go, 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 make it cheaper, make it cheaper, make it, you know, don't make it better, make it cheaper, uh, so that we can make, so that we can make more money, right? That's the way American business works, kind of has the idea of I'll rest when I'm dead, sort of deal. Compare that to another restaurateur, a man named Truett Cathy. Many of you may know to be the founder of Chick-fil-A. And Kathy, uh, early on in his business plan, said, hey, you know what? Our restaurants are going to be closed on Sunday, right? And they still are to this day. Um, and it's interesting. Chick-fil-A has only recently, like within the past few years, broken into kind of the top ten of fast food earnings, right? Like dominated, of course, by McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's. I mean, those, those places are, are everywhere. Chick-fil-A slowly but surely kind of has crept its way in there. And you're seeing more and more Chick-fil-A's across the country. 
What's interesting about the comparison between those two men is I have no doubt that Chick-fil-A probably would have grown, maybe, Chick-fil-A probably would have grown as quickly, right? Their product, I think their product is better. It's certainly a higher quality food. Um, But Kathy made it a point early on to say, this is just not something we're going to do. I'm going to, we as a company, me personally and we as a company, we are going to forfeit all of the money we could make on a Sunday. And that's a big business day. Particularly now, uh, in, a, in a pretty secularized America, everybody's traveling on a Sunday. You pass all these exits. Don't, like, you've been there, right? Like, you, uh, you're traveling on a Sunday, you're on vacation, and, like, you love the fact that, you know, Chick-fil-A has values, they make good chicken, and that they're closed on a Sunday, but at that point, you find it really inconvenient that they have, have values, Right? That's kind of how we feel about the Sabbath. Like, we love the idea of it until it really is inconvenient. Then it's like, oh, principles. Hmm. So that, that's kind of the comparison. That's where, that's where this whole command challenges us, right? That's where it, that's where it meets us and convicts us. Is, um, it forces us to say, I don't have to work. It forces us to say, I don't... I don't have to earn anything or make anything or produce anything today. And at the bottom of it, we really don't like that. Because it means that somebody else is the main creator. Somebody else is the main producer. Somebody else is the main sustainer. When I observe Sabbath, I am saying, God, I trust you that the world will keep running while I'm not. Right? That's a Sabbath principle uh, that, that I think applies old and new. That if we stop, well, it's, it's an act of faith. We're saying, God, if I don't answer my email, the whole thing won't burn down. And you know what? If it does burn down, okay. Can you say that? Right? Are you, are you confident enough in God's running of the universe that you can step away from your cog-in-the-wheel piece, right, and just say, okay, I don't have to touch it today. It'll be fine. Nothing's, nothing's going to burn down that can't be put out on Monday, hopefully. Right? Can we, that, that, that is a huge step of faith for us. We just don't trust it that far. We don't trust Him that far. All right. Um, why do we do this? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One of the reasons why the Sabbath exists is because God built it into creation. It's how we're created to work. Did you know that? You actually need a day off. I know. Not you. But everybody else does. So could you stop for for the rest of us? No. God... This is God. God calls us to imitate Him in this. He says, "On the six on six days, God did His creative work, and on the seventh day, He rested." Now, why, do, why does God rest? I mean, God God doesn't get tired. He doesn't wear out. No, He rests on the seventh day to look back at what He's done on the other six. He looks at His creative work and He says, "Now that's good." That's very good, right? And he declares a day of rest just to enjoy what has been made. 
He still continues his sustaining work, right? The universe still spins, the globe still spins, gravity's still working, sun's still shining, all of that by God's sovereign hand. Okay, so it's not as if God just shut down and said, okay, we're done, walk away, right? No, God's resting is an enjoyment of his creativity. God's looking at his, crea- his, at his creation saying, very good. And he says, you know what, you're made to do that too. You're made to stop your working so that you can step back and take a breath and enjoy. Enjoy what I've made. Enjoy me. Enjoy the creation. And then Deuteronomy 5, Moses goes through the Ten Commandments again, but this time, most of them are similar, but in Deuteronomy 5, Moses lists a different reason for observing the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, For you were slaves in Egypt. So here, Moses ties the Sabbath command not to God's example, but to the overwork, that, uh, to the bondage that the Israelites experienced in Egypt, right? And what God is saying is, I'm not that kind of cruel master. In Egypt, the word was work, 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 right? Work harder, work with less, work more, no rest, no worship. That, that was what Pharaoh told the Israelites. And so God says, I'm not like that. You're not meant to work seven days a week. 24 hours a day, right? I have built in a pattern of rest for the refreshment of your soul. It's going to repeat that later on in Exodus. That Exodus is meant for our refreshment. That that the Sabbath is meant for our refreshment. It's meant for our rest. So, this means the Sabbath was not bondage. It means that the Sabbath is actually the opposite of bondage. Sabbath is supposed to be the opposite of a burden. It's supposed to be the relief of a burden. That's what the Sabbath was meant to be. But man, did they chafe against this. In the same ways that we do, right? The prophet Amos would say in in his day that the people were like, Oh, when can the Sabbath be over so we can get back to work and making money? Right? In Isaiah 58, probably the longest treatment uh, that one of the prophets gives the Sabbath, God chastises the people for using the Sabbath for their own delight. He's like, you're misusing the Sabbath. That's not what it's for, right? We chafe against this law. God's people chafed against this law, all right? And I want you to remember this uh, because we're going to say it again and again. The The law really serves two functions for us. The first thing is it, uh, it does is it reveals our sin, right? It's that mirror that we talked about that you really, like the, the one in your house, that for some reason you ladies love to have, that you, like you flip it over and it's super magnified and it has lights around it, shows you every pore in your face, right? That's what, that's what the law does, but not in a happy way. You know, like you look at it and you're like, oh, oh my gosh. You know, like, so that the law has that function. It reveals our sin to us. So that we know we need a Savior. And then on the other side of that Savior, it shows us the path of life. So in that way, the law is kind of like the doctor, right? You go knowing you've got a problem. Like you want the doctor to diagnose what is wrong with you. And then you also expect him to give you a treatment plan, right? 
Like, here's your problem, here's how you're going to get better. That's what the law does. Those are the two functions that it serves. So, let's just apply this to the Sabbath command as we have it here. It points out, right, the sin that it reveals in us is that I gravitate towards self-reliance. I'm the creator. I'm the producer. I'm the breadwinner. If I, don't, if I stop working, the whole house of cards collapses. It's up to me, me, me. Right? And so what the Sabbath does is it takes you aside and it says, No, you are not. You are not the creator. You're not the producer. You're not the ultimate breadwinner. And I'm giving you a day to cause you to realize that. To stop and to rest and to listen to me. Right? And so it points us to our sin and it shows us the path of life that we don't need more work. We actually need a rest. And we're going to talk about what that means. Let's look real quick. Flip over to Exodus 31. <clears throat> Exodus 31. Exodus 31 verses 12 through 17. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. After the uh, Ten Commandments are given, the people are scared out of their minds. And they say, okay, we don't want to hear God talk anymore. Moses, you go up and talk to him for us. And so Moses goes up on the mountain and is up on the mountain 40 days. All right. What we're about to read is the last thing that God says to Moses before he goes back down the mountain to the people, right? Moses is about to take this law covenant back down and say, all right, here it is, guys. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how this relationship's going to work. This is the last thing that God says to Moses before he goes back down the mountain, which means it might be somewhat important. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, <clears throat> that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you, or, hey, that's that same word, set you apart, make you holy. All right, so let's talk about this thing, this whole idea of a sign real quick. God makes several covenants, just hang with me. All right, I'm going to use some terminology. I'm going to do my best to explain it. If you get lost as a goose, it's okay. I'll snap my fingers and we'll come back. All right? God makes several covenants throughout the Bible. You're familiar probably with the one, even if, you're not, even, if, even if you don't have a church background, you may have heard the story of Noah and the rainbow. All right? That's a covenant story. God makes a covenant promise to Noah that he will not destroy the world through flood again. Right? And that, that covenant promise has no conditions that Noah has to meet. God just says, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do this again. And here's my sign. I'm going to put a rainbow in the clouds, right? So the rainbow, the sign, corresponds to the covenant, right? Because when rain comes, rainbow shows up, God says, no flood, okay? So the sign corresponds to the covenant. Another covenant uh, in the Old Testament is made with Abraham, and it's a covenant that God is going to give Abraham lots and lots of offspring. And the sign that goes with that covenant is the sign of circumcision, 
right? It's a reproductive covenant. So the sign is applied to the reproductive organ, right? The sign goes with the covenant. And now God is making a covenant with the whole nation of Israel in his law. And I suppose there's lots of things he could use to make a sign out of this covenant relationship. But he chooses the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting? When we think of law, we think burden. We think difficult. We think onerous. But when God chooses a sign for this law covenant, he chooses rest. The one sign that will identify the nation of Israel apart from their neighbors is that they will stop working on the seventh day. And they will rest and they will worship. And that was to be a sign to them that God was making them holy apart from their neighbors, and it was a sign to their neighbors that they trusted the Lord, that God was at the center of their life, not production, not work, not harvest time, right? Not planting time, but God himself, all right? So the Sabbath is a sign. He says this, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it, shall be put to death. Whoa. Like that took a, that took a dark turn, right? Um, whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. You think this is something God takes seriously? This was a sign of their identification with him, of their relationship with him. And so for somebody to say, it's my day off, I can work on it if I want to. That person was basically saying, I want nothing to do with the Lord. That was how God interpreted it. If you, if you broke the Sabbath, you were basically saying to God, I don't care about you. Our relationship means nothing to me. Right? And so God said, if, that, if, if such a person exists, if they do that, execute them. In fact, later on we see that actually happening. A guy is caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath, which sounds really innocuous. I mean, good grief, he's just picking up sticks. And the people bring him to Moses, and the man is executed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Now that, that highlights the gravity of what this means for God's relationship to his people. He says, I'm taking this, I take this very seriously. I take you very seriously. I take your good very seriously. The Sabbath is not a suggestion. God is, God is not saying, you know, it's, it's not like God and Moses were on the mountain and he went, Oh, gosh, Moses, I guess we should give him a day off. Let's go one and seven. Does that sound good? Yeah. And, you know, Moses comes like, hey, I've just, God's got a suggestion. If you want to take it, hey, okay, all right, you don't have to go to work. It's fine. Just a suggestion. That's not this, right? This is not a throwaway day. God is saying, you need this. This is core to our identity, to, to my identity as your covenant Lord, and your identity as my covenant people. This is a sign between me and you, right? So I just want you to feel the, the gravity of this. Because it was a demonstration to them that God was in control, 
And it was a demonstration to their neighbors, their pagan neighbors, that they loved God more than they loved work. And that was saying something. Because in every other religious atmosphere, right, the deity is applied to the work, right? You, you went and you worshipped your deity so that you could get work done, right? So that the fields could produce or so that the gods would be happy and give you rain or whatever. But that, that was not how this system worked. They didn't, they didn't have to earn anything from God. God gave freely. And so he gives them this day freely to worship and to rest. And like I said, they chafe against it and, and we chafe against it. Now, so that Sabbath is law, the Sabbath is sign. Let's talk about the Sabbath and Jesus and us. We know that Jesus transforms the law, right? Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He brings some things in the law to their completion, right? Uh, so that we don't do them anymore. We don't sacrifice lambs anymore because Jesus has completed that part of what we call the ceremonial law. But what do we do with the Sabbath? We see Jesus always kept the Sabbath. He never broke the Sabbath command. But he did break a lot of the man-made traditions around it. In fact, it almost seems like Jesus went out of his way to make the religious leaders angry on this point. Right? Like, this was an area that was massively misinterpreted. And it's an area that we still struggle to apply, right? If you, you can read, even within our own heritage, you can read three different theologians, and you're going to get three different applications of what you think we're supposed to do with this whole Sabbath day. Do we observe it the way that the Jews observe it? Is every day the same? You know, that's, those are kind of the two extreme camps, right? We, it's, that Sunday is basically the Christian Sabbath, or... Every day is the same, so there is no Sabbath. Or every day is a Sabbath. And I'm not sure if every day is a Sabbath, if any day is a Sabbath. So, right, and you kind of get all kind of interpretations in the middle. So, we're going to try to walk quickly through how Jesus dealt with this, how we see the new church dealing with it, and then maybe how we might apply some of this. All right? So, like I said, Jesus never broke the Sabbath law. Uh but he was constantly in conflict with the religious leaders of his day, right? These guys named the Pharisees in an effort to make sure that they preserved Jewish culture against Roman values. They came up with lots of extra laws to help you keep God's law, right? So, yeah, that Sabbath principle is pretty ambiguous. So let's come up with 39 extra things you can do or don't do on the Sabbath, okay? So you can only walk so far. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't do this. You can do that. Uh, don't tie up a burden that heavy, but it's okay to do a burden this heavy, right? They came up with all of these minutia, to things you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus challenged these and said, no, 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 you're going too far. You're missing the point of the Sabbath. One area uh, is they, they get on to, uh, in Mark chapter 4... The Pharisees, religious leaders, get on to Jesus' disciples for plucking heads of grain and eating on the Sabbath, right? And one of their customs said, you could not harvest grain on the Sabbath, which is what they accuse the disciples of doing. And Jesus says, you can eat on the Sabbath, bro. Like, and he says this, he says this, this wonderful thing that should be freeing to us. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man's benefit. 
Man was not made for the benefit of the Sabbath. It is for you. Now, some of us say then, like, goodness, thanks, I can finally, you know, watch all six seasons of Downton Abbey today. That's what I was going to do. Sabbath. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said Sabbath was made for man. But we'll unpack that in a second. Right? And so, um, another thing, that, another area of conflict that Jesus ran into the religious leaders, he did this multiple times. He does it in Mark. He does it in Luke. But when he's in the synagogue, which is their version of church, um, diseased people will come up to him. And he heals them on the Sabbath. And then he gets in trouble for it. Right? The leaders, the leaders of the synagogue, right? The pastor of the day would come up and say, Hey, um, now listen, you're going to need to come on Monday, Monday through, you know, or actually it would have been Sunday through Friday. Okay, you can, you can come for healing there, but healing is work. We're not going to do that on the Sabbath. Y'all. And, and Jesus gets rightly angry with them. He says, guys, the Sabbath is for giving life. Wouldn't you, which among you don't take, right, in the, in the example in Luke, it's a woman who's been stooped over uh, for 14 years under an oppressive spirit. And Jesus walks up to her and he sets her free and, her, and she's restored. Right? Her health is restored. Her freedom, her mobility are restored. And the leader of the synagogue's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nope. Not on the Sabbath. We can't do that here. And Jesus says, which of you doesn't take your ox to get a drink on the Sabbath day? If you can do that on the Sabbath, I can surely restore life to this woman on the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath is for. It is meant to bring life into the midst of death. Right? Healing is okay on the Sabbath. Eating is okay on the Sabbath. You guys understand it. It's like, and, you know, we certainly have some modern day Pharisees, right? I, I can certainly fall into this camp, right? You know, it's like, we are going to enjoy this Sabbath, so turn off the television. You know, like, I don't, I don't think you get it. So right? that's kind of missing the point of what the Sabbath is meant to be, what the Sabbath is meant to do. Uh, so let's look at Romans chapter 14. Jesus clearly says uh, that uh, he is Lord of the Sabbath, which means he can determine uh, what can be done on the Sabbath, but it also says more about who Jesus is. But I just want to look at Romans 14 real quick so that we get a picture of how the early church handled this. Romans 14. This would have been a church where you have Jewish people who are, who are accustomed to observing the Sabbath, but also Gentile people who do not have a Sabbath. And so it's kind of like, oh no, what are we going to do, right? And here's what Paul says. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. All right, so you see what Paul does there. He says, I mean, it's remarkable 
this long-held tradition of the Sabbath, Paul's a Jewish man. And he says, you know what? Some of you are going to think this day is really important. Some of you are going to think all the days are equally important. We're not going to get scrupulous over this. There's freedom here. Right? There's, there's freedom in interpretation. That, that means that if you grew up like in a very uh, strict Sabbath tradition of like, all right, we're, we stay inside, we shut the curtains, uh, we, we play. I mean, I, you know, there were some Puritan families where they would play with different toys on the Sabbath. You know, like the kids like, no, these are our Sabbath toys, right? Because it's a different day. Okay, maybe you feel like you need to do that. Um, but that's not, that's not a mandate from Scripture, right? I like, I, I'll be honest, I like some rigidity, you know, I like some hard lines, so I'm probably going to fall more into that camp. But I can't make you follow me in this, because Paul says there's freedom, right? Uh, one other place, Colossians 2, and then we'll just kind of apply some things uh, about how this might work. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard... All right, so I'll just tell you, what he's about to say uh, refers to Jewish festivals, okay? Jewish ceremony, the Jewish calendar. It goes from the year to the month to the week. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here's what what Paul is doing. All of those Jewish observances were great, but they were just the shadows. Now that Jesus comes, right, Jesus is the substance of all of those things. And so he is the fulfillment of all of those things. So we can celebrate and enjoy Jesus... And we can say goodbye to some of those things, right? We don't do the Feast of Dedication. We don't do the Feast of Tabernacles anymore, right? Why? Because now we have Jesus. We've added some other holidays, but we have Jesus, right? So Paul is saying there's some freedom here. Now, Jesus is our rest. And that means that the binding nature of the Sabbath has been met in him. You're not going to be executed for working on a Sunday. In fact, um, there's even some debate about whether Sunday is, quote-unquote, the Christian Sabbath. So, Jesus is our rest. Hallelujah. Let's apply what that means. What what does this mean for the way that we do life as Christians? What can we draw from this? How do we apply this principle of Sabbath? Because I think there's some good things in here for us to learn. First thing I would say is this. We still need one day in seven. Right? I think it's a creation pattern. Um, I think it's good that you don't work seven straight days a week. I think it's good for your soul that you stop working and that you allow God to be God for 24 hours. You can put your hand back on the plow when sun up on Monday. Okay? But I think it's a good thing for us to withdraw and say, God will manage the universe without my help for 24 hours. Okay? Um, and so what that means is that we can prioritize worship and soul care. One day in seven, prioritize worship and soul care. Right? You can see as early on as Acts, 
uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament, that these new Christians started meeting on the first day of the week, right? They, they in essence, created an eighth day, right? Because Saturday would have been the seventh, their Sabbath. But they, they started meeting on a Sunday. And even by the end of the New Testament, they're calling it the Lord's Day. And so they found it to be a regular priority, that, like, because Jesus and rose again, it changed everything. We're not meeting on Sabbath anymore. No, we're going to meet on Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. So let's gather together and let's worship and let's talk about that, right? And so as early as the book of Acts, Christians start doing this. They're calling it the Lord's Day by the end, and it's a common practice as you get into the second and third centuries, right? That Christians are regularly gathering on Sundays uh, to worship the Lord, to prioritize soul care. So let me ask it to you this way. Is, is Sunday just a throwaway day? When I look for day planners, it's interesting that you kind of, it's evidence, I think, of secularizing tendency in culture that's not nearly as religious as it used to be. But if uh, you open up a, a number of day planners or calendars, what do they do with Saturday and Sunday? They just, they split them, right? They both come at the end of the week, right? Monday's the first day of the week. And then Saturday and Sunday come at the end of the week with a line right down the middle of them. Why? Well, they're throwaway days. I mean, what else am I going to, I'm not going to schedule anything on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's the weekend, right? It's a, it's a nothing day. Is that, is that your view of a Sunday? Or do we see it the way early Christians saw it as something so wonderful has happened that it gives life to the rest of my week? Right? That, that Sunday is really the pivotal day. Sunday is the rhythm-setting day. Not, oh, we're going to try our best to make it to church if we can. But no, this is, the, this is the source day. This is the center day. All the other days spin around this one. Right? Is that the way that we view, uh, is that the way that we view Sunday? What would Sunday look like for you if you tried to center your soul and your activity on Jesus for that day? I'm not going to tell you what practices you ought to put in place, what you should do or shouldn't do. It probably means you should take a nap, all right? Um, I can't tell you whether it means you should watch the Cleveland Browns. I think the Cleveland Browns record tells you whether you should or shouldn't watch the Cleveland Browns. But, right, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a Pharisee. I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts for a Sunday. But what would it look like if your day were oriented around Jesus? And how would that impact the rest of your week? Uh, what if you read that book you've been meaning to get to and you didn't check your phone? Like, what if you just laid the phone down? What if you didn't check Facebook? Like, what if, that, what if, what if Sunday was a social media-free day? Because sometimes we think we're resting when in reality we're just vegging. We're not actually giving ourselves any more soul care. We're just moving our minds into a different gear. Like, what if you put it in neutral altogether and gave it to the Lord? Like, what, what would that do to your priorities in life? All right? Uh, so, prioritize worship and soul care. I, see, I, think we, I think it's good for us to take a day to do that, to worship and to rest. Uh, second, and I've emphasized this a lot throughout, 
Trust Christ enough to stop. To stop working. Right? And this is where Sunday again feels burdensome to us. It's where we hear Roz's voice. Better stop working, Wazowski. Right? We, uh, we feel like the Sabbath is a burden. And what it's meant to be is a joy. Right? I mean, we're, it's, it's like we're running, we're running. We're, I'm busy. I've got to stay busy. I mean, I'm really thirsty. I wish I could have a cup of water. And Jesus is over here with a cup of water going, you need to stop and get one. It's right here. What are you doing? I know, but I'm, I've got to keep going. I'm just really thirsty. Stop. Right? So can we trust Jesus enough to stop? Can we believe that our organization or that our family or that our business will be fine if we don't manage it that day? Do we believe that? Right? If we need a break, if, if most of us are frantically running around saying, I need a break, I need a break, I need a break, then hear the grace of God saying, I'm giving you a break, but please take it. Right? Let's receive the grace that God has given us. Uh, and, you know, to go along with this, I don't want to be overscrupulous here, but what would it look like, just challenge us, all of us, including me, What would it look like if we ordered the other six days so that they had no claim on Sunday? Like, students, what would it look like if you ordered your life the other six days so that you weren't having to catch up on that paper on Sunday? You weren't having to finish your homework on Sunday, right? What if you so ordered the other six days so that this one was left alone? Guys, what would you have to do at work on Friday before you left the office? so that you didn't have to begin doing Monday's work on Sunday night. Just a, just a challenge. What if, what if we ordered the other six days? What if we were a little more disciplined with our time so that Sunday really was, it wasn't claimed by anybody but the Lord Jesus? What would that look like? Um, and then ultimately, and most important of all, the Sabbath means that we need to find our ultimate rest in Jesus. In Matthew 11... Uh, Verses 28 through 30. I'm going to read that for us, and this will be how we close up. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, does that sound... Burdensome to anybody in here? Anybody in here qualify as weary, worn out, laboring? Right? You may be the one in a million person who's like, you know, I really am looking for more stuff to do. This isn't for you. You need to go find something else to do. This is for all the normal people, right? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's ultimately what the Sabbath is all about. And that's why Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Because underneath all that work, underneath all that frantic busyness, 
is the desire for me to make something of myself. It is a self-righteousness. It is a self-proving. It is me having to say something to the world about my worth and my value and my dignity. And by by golly, I am going to get it done. And Jesus says, if you keep doing that, it's going to kill you. Finding Jesus as your ultimate rest means you say, I have nothing more to prove. My identity is not in my work. My identity is not in my family. My identity is not in how much I can accomplish. And that's hard for me to say. But my worth is not in my to-do list. My worth and my value and my identity are in Jesus. And you know what Jesus said about his work? It is finished. And because Jesus finished his work on the cross, I have nothing left to prove. I have nothing left to do. Everything from here on out is freedom. So yeah, every day is the same. In one sense, every day is the Sabbath. Because I can stop and I can rest in what Jesus has accomplished for me and I can praise the Lord and worship and then I can keep going. Find your ultimate rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we move towards communion, would you help us to rest? Would you help us to lay down our deadly doing? This frantic work of proving ourselves, of earning our position with you and with other people. Oh Lord, would you help us to hear afresh from the cross of Calvary, it is finished. And so we can enter into that Sabbath rest that we will enjoy for eternity. Yes, there is still work to do. Good work, healing work, your work, necessary work, all of it. Still work to do. Still burdens to bear. And yet, because of what you have accomplished, because of the work that you have done for us, we can now do it in freedom and in gladness and joy. And we can come to a Sunday and we can be nourished. We don't have to worry about all the things we have to do eventually, some, someday soon. We can just rest. And trust in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask the elders to come forward and prepare the communion table. And I'll segue in this way that the Lord's table is really a table of rest. And the Heidelberg Catechism calls the Sabbath a day of festive delight, a feast day. And so this is a this is a a day or be a day of delight. This is a table of finished work. Because it's a table that celebrates Jesus' work on the cross.